Well, here I am. Um, you're not usually used to seeing me this regularly, so some of you are probably thinking this is mistaken, maybe, or uh, or uh, that they had to shift around the schedule, and it'll be a while before uh, I come back up again. Um, but uh, you see that up there? There's a title with a subtitle. Um, that means we are in for a sermon series from Jeff. Uh, the next prophet, where did you go? So uh, hopefully by the end of this uh, three weeks, we figure out who that next prophet is. If I've done my job, uh, maybe we will. But this morning, we're spending time in, uh, in 1 Kings, looking at the story of Elijah. And if you want to turn with me there now, you can. 1 Kings 19, 1 through kind of 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom, tree, broom, broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have a, had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and to the desert of Damascus. Verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Hope it's kind of sticky today. We see this story. It's right smack dab in the middle, uh, or at the, uh, sorry, end of 1 Kings, which is actually the middle of the original book. Um, Kings was writtenly, originally written as one book, and uh, over time it got separated. Um, it follows through as one solid story. And Kings picks up after uh, both Saul and David have been king. And uh, it starts with Solomon and his reign. By chapter 12 of uh, the book of 1 Kings, the kingdom will have been divided into two, Judah and Israel. This would come after the death of King Solomon, and the following king could not hold the, the kingdom of uh, Israel together. I suppose uh, that Judah take, took its name from uh, that region because it contained the allotment of the lands of the tribe of Judah. Along with that, there was also a portion of the tribe of Benjamin. Jerusalem, which had been the capital of the kingdom of Israel, remained Judah's capital, while Israel, the northern kingdom, would have Shechem, Terza, and Samaria as its capitals at various times. And its territory would include the remaining land of the ten tribes of Israel. The, the kingdom of Israel was to the north, and the kingdom of Judah to the south. For the next three weeks, we'll look at the transition between these two books. We'll start in 1 Kings and then go to 2. We are looking at uh, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. Ahab is king. And he solidified his economics with ties with the Phoenician, with the, he solidified economics ties with the Phoenicians by marrying Jezebel. 
she brought Baal and Asherah worship to the kingdom. That was already into a kingdom that was already far from the one true God. For economic prosperity, Ahab sold Israel's worship to Baal and Asherah. For our scripture today, we follow after the great success of Elijah. He challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest to call down fire from their God and consume an offering. Two altars were built on the mountainside of Carmel, and one victor came out. Elijah, after the prophets of Baal uh, failed, called down fire from heaven, and God consumed everything. Consumed the offering, the altar, everything around it. It was a decisive victory that couldn't be denied, and it caused the people present to kill the prophets of Baal and want to follow the true God, Jehovah. But after that, he got in trouble with Jezebel. These were her servants that he had killed, about 450 of them. When I was a child, I thought I was better suited for the Middle Ages. The idea of sword fighting and castles and moats and armor is all very glamorous to me. I've got to think that Elijah thought he was just living in the wrong time as well. He probably yearned to be alive when Moses and the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. I have to believe that he would have zealously opposed the construction of a golden calf. He may have been right there next to Joshua and Caleb, talking about the amazing land that God was about to give them. Maybe he would have been enough to sway Israel to trust God and enter right away. Or maybe seeing the destructive nature of kings, he would have encouraged Samuel to stay strong. And together, they would convince the tribes of Israel that they had no need of an earthly king. They had the one living God as king. But alas, he's alone in a time when no one worships Jehovah anymore. Everyone had set up idols of their own preference that suited their own desires. Some of you here today hear how America has done the same thing. Some of you have heard of a time when America was Christian. Ten commandments in the courthouse. Prayer in school. Everyday pledge of allegiance to a flag in schools. And your generation is rotten. 
so you're told. But you're here, a remnant set apart. Some of you are just starting to make your mark on these pews. Don't even know how this place all works yet, or even what is happening. You may have heard that AMC has a structure, but you have no clue what that means. You still feel like much of your Christian faith is on your own, except for on Sundays for a few hours. But you're here, a remnant set apart. Some of you look around, and as you study the faces, you realize you have spent most of your life doing church at AMC with a different group of people who aren't here today. While you would envision one person in a particular pew, another generation would see someone else. Have you ever just looked around and considered who isn't here anymore? Some of them left furious, and you know why. Some passed in old age, and others too young. Most just moved on, and home is in a new congregation. There are people sitting in their seats. And some seats still haven't been filled. They'll never be filled. Never again. And you're still here. A remnant set apart. There's some of you out there who have a song, a simple song, that makes you think of a time or a person whenever you sing it. Every time you hear it, you're transported into a different scene from your past life. There's a song that I once took a decent amount of joy in. It wasn't a great song, but a decent song. And I now resent singing it. Haven't enjoyed it for 20 years. Don't have a desire to rekindle the enjoyment of that song. It's supposed to be an upbeat, joyful song. And I sigh every time I know we're going to sing it. It's turned into more of a lament to me. It reminds me of people people who aren't here anymore. But I'm still here, a remnant set apart. I don't mean to be a downer. I see great promise in the message in this passage today. But I think we can all share in the depression Elijah may have felt. Though the people he longed for were dead before he ever got to see what pew they would have sat in. 
This account shows a number of parallels between Elijah going to Mount Horeb and Moses, and when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. Not the least of which is that Horeb is actually another name for Sinai. Elijah is on the same mountain. He's said to have journeyed 40 days to go from Israel to Mount Sinai, which rings of the 40 years Moses led the people of Israel from the desert to the promised land. And while Moses was up on the mountain, all of the people following him turned from God and started worshiping an idol. Unlike Elijah, Moses was actually alone as a follower of God. Elijah had just called the fury of God down on an altar and restored the faith for a group of, uh, to believe in Jehovah as the one true God. Then he lets a threat from a king whose gods are powerless cause him to forget and become depressed about being alone. He was fighting for a cause seemingly all by himself. At least that's what he told God. The God that can turn rocks into his chosen people if he wants to. That God. Elijah tells him that he's God's last follower. No, there's still 7,000 people there. There's 7,000 people back home. What is Elijah thinking? He can't get out of his own self-pity to see that there are those willing to follow God, the one true God. They're ready for leadership and action. Elijah's left behind this throng. There's a whole group of people who are just as true God followers as Elijah. There's a whole group of people just as true God followers as the guy who left him. A remnant set apart. We all can feel a bit alone in this faith sometimes. Whether you're the only young person here or not, you're always alone. Everyone else is telling you all the exciting things they're doing right now on your phone. There he is, up on Mount Horeb, feeling all alone. But he's not alone. Moses was alone. Elijah isn't alone. It was Moses and God. But Elijah isn't alone. God tells Elijah of the thousands he is on his side and of his current mission for him. But I can relate with Elijah. Sometimes this walk is lonely and we feel like we're the only one. There's no one there to support us. There's no one that understands me. Sometimes you feel very alone in a crowd 
there's a great chasm between being near someone and relationship. I wonder if this remnant in Israel truly knew what God was capable of doing through them. Did they stand back just because they saw Elijah doing such a good job? What, they, what would they have done if Elijah never returned? Elijah's just one person. Those people, that remnant, could certainly have continued the uh, work of God's kingdom on earth. As long as one person was still faithful to God, he would still advance his kingdom here on earth. And there are 7,000 others, a remnant set apart. Elijah's not the only one. I think there are 150 people here, a remnant set apart. Please stand. Let's pray. Lord, we may feel alone on this journey. You're there with us, and you've brought others around us. Are we that remnant? Sure we are. Amen. You may depart in peace.